Hey guys, welcome to a public podcast. My name is Nathan Eaton and I'm the campus pastor at Public Church. Today's talk comes from our current series called The Power of a Letter, focusing on the book of Ephesians. We would love to invite you to join us to be a part of our reading plan that you can access through the YouVersion Bible app. If you download the app, you can click on the More tab in the bottom right-hand corner, then click Events, search Public Church, and there you can save the event. Thank you for being a part of our podcast audience, and we hope you're challenged and changed by today's message. Hey, good morning, everybody. How's it going? All right. Now, listen, here's, here's the deal. My wife told me not to say this, but I just feel like I'm a little out of practice. So I'm going to need as much help from you this morning as I can get. And, I, and, and honestly, the caffeine hasn't kicked in. So as much love as you can give me, as much feedback as you can give. So I want to just start with some questions. And I need you. I, saw, I, I looked around the room when they mentioned the math thing. And most math people are not like excited about math. They're excited, but they don't like yell. They just like raise a hand. I saw just hands raised. So, so here's what I need. I need, I'm going to ask some questions. And if you're for these things, I just need you to give a scream or a shout. Can we do that this morning? All right. Hey, hey, all right. Come on, nine o'clock. So how many people, how many people in the room? Just this is just random questions. There's not, there's kind of a purpose, maybe not a lot of purpose. But but if you don't give me feedback throughout the whole thing, I'm gonna feel like I'm up here all alone. And I need you. Oh yeah, I need you guys this morning. So here's the deal. Here's the deal. How many of you like to go to weddings? How many of you like to dance at weddings? All right, all right, all right. How many of you like to go eat by yourself? (laughs) Like Just, yeah, I'm just going to go sit uh, alone in the corner. This, this group over here, like, they're going to spread out later and just eat a sandwich under a tree. Uh, how many of you guys like to go to the movies? Who are my movie people? Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's movie people out there. How many people, how many people like to sing in the car? Yeah. How many of you like to sing in the car with other people with you? Like you have your own, like just reenacting time. You get to sing. Everybody sings off key to Mariah Carey because no one can hit those notes. And you're like, I almost, I almost demonstrated it, but I won't. So here's the thing. Here's the thing. I think we all have things that we like to do together. There are things that we like to do with people. There are things that if we're, if, if we're not with people, it's weird. That's why the weird response, like, who likes to eat by themselves? Like, yeah, me. Like you go to the, the restaurant, you're like, hey, I just a party of one. <laughs> I just want to sit over here by myself. Could you move me away from anyone? I can just face the wall. That would be great. Like, we don't, we don't do that. It's a, it's a difficult thing. We don't, go, we don't like going to the movies really by ourselves most of the time. In my lifetime, I only went to one movie by myself, and it was very lonely. Kind of the story. No, I won't get too sad here. But here's the thing. Here's the thing. When we think about the word lonely, we think about loneliness. Sometimes it's something we kind of play off. We think about songs we've heard about being lonely or Mr. Lonely or whatever. But loneliness is like a major, major thing. And if you're alive today, which hopefully you are, some of you have probably experienced loneliness. In fact, the numbers show that about 40% of us have have dealt with loneliness, like deep-seated, hurtful loneliness. That means that there's a good chunk of us in the room that have walked through that. And I think that when we think about this thing about being alone and we think about this loneliness, we, don't, we think like, it's okay, it's just a season, it's just a time, but it actually has effects on our health. Like they equate loneliness, the effects of loneliness equate to like smoking 15 cigarettes a day or, or the same, it affects our lifespan as much as like morbid obesity would. And we don't think about that. We're like, well, I got it, I'm on my own. But 
But, but what happens over time is like it, it weighs on us because we weren't created to, to be alone. We weren't created to, to walk through life alone. We were created to, to be in fellowship with God and with one another. But loneliness has affected our culture. And you know, and some of you are in the room today and you're like, yeah, I feel loneliness. I feel it right now. There's all these people that seem to know each other and I don't know if I even know what's going on. And it's such a thing. In fact, in 2018 uh, in Great Britain, they actually, um, and this is, this is not a joke, they actually made a minister of loneliness, which sounds like a terrible job. They just sit them in an office by themselves. I don't know. <laughs> But, but we, ha- we have the picture of the minister of loneliness. You get to pick which one of these people you think they are. Because um, I would have voted for Adele as the minister of loneliness from, from Britain. Because, I mean, all she does is sing about sad things. But actually, it's this lady on the right, Teresa Couch. They actually gave her this job because they realized the culture, the government of Great Britain realized that loneliness is affecting us in major, major ways. It's hurting us. It's holding us down. And it's not just a thing that's new to our culture now or just in the recent days, but it's been a thing throughout history. In fact, this next picture, if anybody knows who this lady is, just shout it out. Anybody know who that is? Nobody shout out mom, which is good. So (laughs) mom, is that you? No, this is Emily Dickinson. You guys are familiar with Emily Dickinson. You probably had to read her poetry when you were younger. And she wrote this this poem called The Loneliness One Dare Not Sound, which already sounds like a really uplifting thing. But then she goes and says this, and I love, I love this definition of it. I love what she says about it right here. She says, the horror, this, she describes loneliness as the horror not to be surveyed, but skirted in the dark. Because sometimes we think about lonely like well, I'm all by myself. But sometimes loneliness is a thing that we're, we're, we're surrounded by people. And they just seem to pass us by. That we're, we're walking through things, we think things, we, we want people to notice us, and everyone else seems like they're in their place, they feel good, but we're skirted by, like that no one sees us, that they can see us, but they don't see us. People know us, but they don't know us. And I think for us, and I think for me, that this lonely feeling, this thing about being passed by, that we feel like people are missing us, or God is missing us, is something that we don't, we don't like to talk about that we pull away and it's affecting us as we were created to be. Now, I wanna, I wanna dispel some things just really quickly because I think this happens a lot in places like this and in churches and, and things. When we see someone up on a stage or we hear, see someone leading a, a Bible study or someone playing music or, or doing something at church and they wave at you in the parking lot and you think, well, they have it together. That seems great for them. Or we get on social media right? And we look at someone else's things like, well, they pray a lot because they posted a picture of their prayer time and they had their Bible open and it was pretty and there was coffee and everything, everything looked good. And, and like the, the, their latte had like praying hands in the foam, <laughs> like they, they've got this together. And we get, we get this idea that everybody has to get, and I want to tell you very clearly that the people that are on this stage, the people that speak this person right here, we do not have it together. I'm an imperfect person. I come from imperfect places. And the sooner we can dispel that when we think about church, because I've sat where you've been and I've, and I've thought the same thing about people in front. I thought they don't even know what's going on. They don't know what it feels like to hurt. And, and, and I'm just, and, and like, I, I've been in ministry for 20 years and I'll tell you, ministry is like a lonely, lonely job because you begin to wonder who you can trust because people, when you speak or you share something, somebody's going to get mad. They criticize you. They're going to post things about you. They'll say, hey, you wear the too expensive sneakers, which I do not. But you say like all these things. But, but ministry is a tough thing. In fact, the, the loneliness numbers for ministers goes from the 40% number to the 70% number. 
So ministry is a tough place. Never think the person up here has it together. My story is about 11 months to this day. I sat in a room with leadership from the church I was at, and they said, hey, where we're going and where you're going, we don't think those match up. And I put so much of my identity wrapped up in that that I, I struggled really hard. I walked away from that situation, and, and I have a wife and a child, uh, Anna Kate, who's awesome, my wife, who's also awesome. And I, and I felt isolated. And I would describe what I walked through as, or am walking through even now as lonely. It, w- it would be a struggle. I would pray, and I would see other people's lives flourishing. I think, God, why is that happening for them? I see other people getting jobs and having success. And I think, God, why have you not noticed me? Why have you not seen me? And I would pray, and I'd be, God, okay, maybe today's the day. <sighs> maybe today's the day that my heart quits hurting like it does. And it doesn't. It keeps going on. You think, like, I got saved when I was, like, eight years old, nine years old, and, and, and in my mind, I had built up this thing, like, I've got equity, God. Like, I've served you. I've followed you. I've volunteered at church. I've served the church. You shouldn't leave me hanging like this, where I feel like everything's just going by me, and I'm stuck. And the thing that has helped me the most in those moments The thing that has mattered the most to me is when people prayed for me and not like the prayer from a distance, like the text or, and I had people initially when stuff happened, they were like, yeah, praying for you. And then I never heard from it again. But the people that came beside me, the people that would send me a text and it would be like a specific prayer for my heart and my family and my life. The people who would show up at my door and say, hey, I know what's going on and I love you and God hasn't given up on you yet. He's going to do great things. And it may not be the things that you measure as great, but things that he measures as great. Because I think what happens to us and what happened to me and what happens to me on a regular basis and what happens to us is that we have a human tendency to forget, don't we? We forget who loves us. We forget who notices us. We forget who cares for us. And we forget the power of a prayer that can jump. We're going this series, The Power of a Letter. And, and Paul, as he writes this, and you guys have been trekking with us through Ephesians. If you haven't, you should jump in. It's amazing, amazing book. And we, and we sometimes think, well, maybe the guy writing the book like Paul has written this thing from a place where he's got it all together and he's perfect and he's not. Because he realizes there's a human tendency to forget. We forget sometimes that maybe the things we're asking for, are the things that are right there in front of us, the things that we're oblivious to are really obvious. That God has it right there in front of us and we've just missed it. And so when Paul, Paul's writing this letter, he has, he has this this memory, this knowledge that, hey, people forget. And you see it throughout scripture, right? Like Genesis 2, everything's going great. They're naked and running through the garden, which I don't recommend necessarily today. We're not going to jump into that. Like when you leave the service today, no, that's not what's happening. But, but what, what you do see though, is like chapter 2, things are going great. Everybody's happy. They're living an unashamed life. They're open and they're vulnerable. And then chapter 3 happens and someone questions like, well, is God really that way? The enemy creeps in, it's like, is God really that? And we see, we see the unity that was meant to be like destroyed. We see that in, in like the book of Judges. The book of Judges is this rotation of people who, who like, like say they love God, then they sin, and they wander away, and then they become oppressed, and then they pray for redemption, and then God sends a deliverer, and then you think they would get it the first time, and the generation passes, and the next generation does the same thing. And it repeats over and over and over. We get into the, into the New Testament, and you read about the disciples who like, 
They're like, God, we'll, Jesus, we'll never leave you. We're never going to run away from you. And that very night, they scatter. We have a tendency, we have a tendency to forget, and, and it's just part of who we are. So we have Paul, who, who isn't this perfect person, who's coming. He's actually writing this letter to the Ephesians in prison. Like, if, I'm, if you get a letter from me in prison, I'm going to tell you what it's going to say. <laughs> Get me out. It's, there's not like, there's not like, I'm not going to encourage you. The only thing I'm going to encourage you is like, get me out. That's the thing. I'm innocent. Get me out. And Paul's in this place where it's not perfect. We read, we read a sentence from scripture and we think, or we read this thing and we read it in this moment and we don't understand all the complexities that come to this place where someone can write a letter of hope in a place that is not hopeful to anybody else. There has to be a perspective change. There has to be a place where the person that's writing this, where they have an awareness of God that just changes what's going down. And so Paul is writing from from a prison in Rome to the church in Ephesus. And Ephesus, we talked about this last week, Ephesus is this multicultural center where people from all around the the known world at that time are like trading and there's, there's, they come from different places with different, different gods. There's different gods to worship in Ephesus. And they come to this place, and Paul is writing to them. He's, he spent life with them. If you want to know more about that, read Acts 19. He was like two, almost three years of his life poured into the people there. And he writes this letter to encourage them because what he realizes, what he realizes is that they have a tendency to drift and forget, just like we all do. And so I want to read from, uh, from my Bible, just like they would have read this letter. So we're not going to on the screen. I'm just going to read it. You can listen, or you can, you know, check your... See if anybody else got traded in the NBA. I don't know. But what I want to read from you from Ephesians chapter 1, and we're just going to go 15 to 23 because this is the prayer that Paul prays for them. The first part of this chapter is all about who God is and the unity that we find in him. And then Paul chooses to pray. And not just like, hey, guys, praying for you, but like a specific prayer. He says, ever since I first heard of your strong faith in the Lord, Jesus, and your love for God's people everywhere, I have not stopped thanking God for you. I pray for you constantly, asking God, the glorious Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, to give you spiritual wisdom and insight so that you might grow in your knowledge of God. I pray that your hearts will be flooded with light so that you can understand the confident hope that he has given to those he called, his holy people who are his rich and glorious inheritance. I pray that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe him. This is the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead and seated him in the, heaven, in the place of honor at God's right hand in the heavenly realms. Now he is far above any ruler or authority or power or leader or anything else, not only in this world, but also in the world to come. God has put all things under the authority of Christ and has made him the head over all things for the benefit of the church, and the church is his body, is made full and complete by Christ, who fills all things everywhere with himself. And what a, what a powerful thing to, to imagine that there's someone, I didn't read it in Greek because I can't read Greek and not well, and I definitely can't speak it well, but can you imagine sitting in a gathering and hearing a letter from a guy in prison who's saying, here's how I feel about you. That he's not just saying thoughts and prayers. And we know like in our culture today, like people toss out the thoughts and prayers thing all the time. It's like, hey, T's and P's to you, man. Like I'm with you. Like the, the, our culture realizes that's just a weak statement. If we're not coming beside people, if we're just saying I'm praying for you and nothing happens, what that does, it invalidates the one that says they're praying and the one they say they're praying to. And what, and what Paul's saying is like, I'm praying for you and let me give you some specifics of how I'm praying, how I love you, that I haven't forgotten you. He wants them so badly to see Jesus and to recognize who he is 
to, to, to be shaken up and say, he's not skirting by you, but he notices you, he sees you, and he loves you. And, and if we think about it, because Paul's like, I know that our sensitivities get dull to God sometimes. And, and, and what Paul's saying here and, and praying here are things that are familiar to us, right? Because maybe you've prayed a prayer that you thought got only as high as the ceiling in your room. Or maybe when you read your Ephesians this week, you said, I got nothing, man. I mean, people say it's great. They get excited about it at church, but I'm not feeling it. We have worship and we sing a song about, man, my breakthrough's coming. And we sing that and you're like, yeah, but is it? Theirs might be. Their hands are up. They must be really breaking through, but I got nothing. God, where are you? And Paul's prayer is a reminder. Paul's prayer is a reminder that we have a God who is greater than all of it. There's three things he prays specifically and three things that we can latch onto and see what, what he's calling to. So let's, let's just walk through this passage a little bit by little bit, verse by verse. And so verse 15, we just want to jump in. He says, ever since I first heard of your strong faith in Lord Jesus and your love for God's people everywhere, I have not stopped thanking God for you. He's not stopped thanking God. He's saying from the very beginning, he's not coming at them. He's not saying, why do you guys forget you're such idiots? He's saying, I want you to know from the time I've known you, I've known you for a long time, for the two and a half years that I was living life with you, from the moment that God just first called me to your city, when I heard about the faith that was growing there, I've not stopped praying for you because I'm for you. He's for them. When we pray for people, when we intercede for people, are we for them? Do they know that from the beginning? Do you know that God is for you? Because it changes everything. Everything changes when we know that people are for us, when they're, when they're coming beside us. We heard that earlier, like when come, people come beside us, what an what a encouragement that is. So we go on verse, in verse 16, he goes on and says, I pray for you constantly, asking God, the glorious Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, to give you spiritual wisdom and insight so that you might grow in your knowledge of God. And the two words are highlighted there, give and wisdom. And what he's saying is like, I want, I'm praying that, you will, that God will give you wisdom. And if someone's giving you something, what do you have to do? Whisper. No, that's not it. What does he, what does he have to do? You have to receive it. You have to re- everybody just say receive it. Receive it. Receive it. That, that if I'm giving you something, you have to receive it. And here's the thing. If I know everything, I can't receive anything. If I say I know it, I can't receive it. If I, if I oh God, this is the way my plan looks. Let me put it all together this way. I'm going to submit it to you. But you should probably follow my, my outline, okay, Jesus? That would be great. But what Paul's praying here is like, listen, I want you to understand. I want you to receive from God that he would give you wisdom, meaning you should probably let go of some things. To just let go of what you know so you can receive wisdom and insight from the one who made you, the one who knows you inside and out, the one who created you. And I'm going to tell you something. The wisdom of God does not make sense to us. Cody talked about that a little bit earlier about his love. And, 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 and honestly, Corinthian, in, the, in the letter to Corinthians, like Paul's pretty clear. He's like, the wisdom of this world looks like foolishness compared to God, which might mean that, that when, when you open your hands, when you say, okay, God, I, I, I want to let go of this stuff. I'm going to let go of what I know, that you might look like a little bit of an idiot to anyone else. People are going to say, man, you're foolish to not just go after that relationship. 
Like, she's cute, man. Why don't you just go out with her? Or, hey, you should chase this thing because this thing's the most, th- th- chase this job. You're going to look like a fool because you wait for a minute. Or you might look like a fool because you rush into a thing that, that only God has made it clear and no one else gets it. But if we trust him and, and we take this action step and say, God, okay, God, I'm letting go of what I know and I want, you to, I want to receive what you have for me. If we can do that, what a change there is and what a place there is. I think so Paul wants us to receive wisdom from God. The second thing he wants is in the next verse. The second thing he desires is in that next verse. He says, I pray that your hearts, in verse 18, I pray your hearts will be flooded with light so that you can understand the confident hope he has given those he called his holy people who are rich and glorious, who are his rich and glorious inheritance. And he prays this, this prayer about being flooded with light is something that's different for us. Because if we think about our world, we think about the things that draw us to isolation and really to contrast this, like draw us into darkness, it's shame, it's doubt, it's fear. And we, and we pray this prayer of like, we want there to be light. And my produ- production team, you guys help me out just a second. We want to look just for a second what darkness looks like. So this, let's, let's just take the lights down for a second. Darkness. And this is the time when I asked them to like release snakes. And, and no one did. And I was a little frightened by that. But here's the thing. Here's the thing. Somebody heard us, and I don't know what that meant. So here's the thing, though. When we pray in the darkness, when we're in our shame and our doubt and our fear, it looks like this. We're like, hey, I just freaked you out. But we're like, hey, God, show me this one thing. Show me this one thing. Show me the thing that you want me to do. I want to know this one thing. And we, we pray, and we're like, hey, right over here. Okay, this is what I need. I want this one specific thing. And we ask and we pray for God to do stuff in the darkness because all we want is a little bit. All we want is a little bit. And what God and what Paul is praying here is an enlightenment. Some translations, it's an enlightenment of the heart. But it is not, and I love the New Living Translation where it says, it is a flooding of the heart with light. And it looks a lot more like this. There we go. <laughs> that, that is not, okay, God, where are you? I don't know what you want me to see. Can I just get a little bit? That's all I really want is a little bit. And God, the prayer here is, I want you to see all of me. I don't want you to have any confusion because the prayer is to have a confident hope. And he, he wants to flood our hearts with his light of who he is. It may not be who you should date. It may not be what the next job should be or where you should go to school. It may not be what, what do I do? Who do I hang out with? The thing that he wants you to see above everything else are the things to actually put your hope in. And the only thing in this world that we can put our hope in is Jesus and what he did for us on the cross and how he rose from the grave. And if that's the only thing we have, that is enough. And we don't have to make our decisions off of circumstance. We make our decision off of who he is. And so when he prays for that enlightened heart and we pray for that enlightened heart, it's God, show me all of you because there's no place in scripture where he says, well, I'll only show you a little bit. I'll only give you a little bit. I said, no, I gave you everything on the cross. I gave, I gave the, showed the full extent of my love for you on the cross. So why do we pray just for a little bit? Why do we pray for this specific selfish thing? Because I think some of that is just that we want to have control. If you'll show me this one little thing, that's what I want. And we're oblivious to this great God, and he wants to be obvious to us, and he gives us clarity, and clarity is a kindness, Right? When someone tells you what their intent is from the beginning, 
Like, that's a nice thing. You don't go to the doctor and they're like, hey, I'm just going to play around in there. We'll figure it out. <laughs> like, that's not the thing. Like, we're going to do some surgery, but <laughs> I'll, I'll put you out to sleep and we'll just guess what we're going to do. Like, no, it is clear, it's kind to say, here's what my heart is for you. Here's where my, I'm at for you. And Jesus says, I'm with you always, even to the ends of the earth. I'm, I'm there for you. I love you. And I, I, wanna, I want you to know me and I want to make myself known to you. I'm going to come to you. I'm going to come to you so you can know me. What a powerful, powerful thing that is. And, and, and the why of all this is that last part of the verse says, because we are his inheritance. We are the thing he longs for. We are the thing that he wants, not because we are so great, but because he created us. And he knows our potential. He knows who we're meant to be. And he knows where you're at. And he knows what you're meant to be. And he speaks life to that and says, I place value on you when you might not put any value on yourself. And I want to enlighten you to the part that I love you so much. And if that's all you need to know, that's enough. So he prays that their, their hearts would be enlightened. And he prays. He prays that they would receive wisdom from God. And the third thing he prays, the third thing he prays is, that, is, is in verse 19. I don't want to skip ahead too far. He says, I also pray that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe in him. And I think this one, the under, he wants us to understand power. And the thing, when we understand his power, it puts everything else, everything else we're doing in life in perspective. And this understanding part is the, the first two are things that God is doing for us. He enlightens our heart. He gives us wisdom. But for us to understand means that we have some buy-in that we have some leaning in to do, that we have a, a, a chance to like, God, I want to know who you are. I want to learn from you. Not just learn, but because learning is like, can it just be a knowledge thing, but I want to trust you. And sometimes we just, we have a tendency to just be like, well, I, 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 God's powerful. That's great. I'm going to do my own thing. And he's saying, I want you to understand my power and understand how you need to step into it and trust me for what I've got for you and what I've done. God's desire for us is to understand him. And the thing is, we won't do that in a day. Some of us think that I've gone to, I've gone to church all my life. I've gone to a Christian school. I've gone to a university. I've read the Bible, whatever the thing is that we've got. And we think, well, I've got it now. I understand how he works. You don't. Paul didn't when he was writing this letter. Because you would think if you added up Paul's, all the things Paul's done, he, should he be in prison? If we, if, we, if we line it up to how people look at the life of a believer, like, well, he's, he's in prison. Why? He must have done something wrong. But, but Paul's life adds up to the thing that I'm going to glorify God wherever I'm at because I understand his power. I'm doing the best I can because if we understand our, his power, we won't live life defeated. We won't live life out of fear because the awkwardness we feel when we're like, oh, I should probably talk to this person. We're like, oh, that feels weird. No, we overcome it because of his power, not because of ours. When we're going through tough times in life, it's not like, oh, I don't, I'm, I'm, I'm stuck here. It's like, no, I need to remember his power. I need to understand who he is and that he's greater than any situation, any person that can oppress me. He's better than that. We won't cower awkwardness. We step into it. Shame won't defeat us and draw us into loneliness and into dark places. We understand his power because he's overcome all of that. But we have a tendency to forget we have a tendency to forget. So Paul goes on in verse 20. He, he rocks on. He says, this is the same mighty power. Because if you're worried about his power, I'm going to go give you a hint here. He says, this is the same power that raised Christ from the dead and seated him in the place that honor at God's right hand in the heavenly realms. This is the power that overcame death, that overcame our sin, that overcame all the, you name anything you feel that pushes you down and oppresses you in life. He has overcome that. That same power 
conquered death and the grave. And he's like, that power is right here for you and for me. Do we understand it? He goes on in verse 21. He says that he is far above, this is Jesus, he is far above any ruler or authority or power or leader or anything else, not only in the world, but also in the world to come. Not only in this world, but the world to come. He's saying, listen, you're in this multicultural center. You're going to hear stories of this guy that's cool and this guy that's cool and this guy that's cool and this guy that's cool. And think about it. We live a life in a lot of Ephesus stuff because the multicultural center is like on our phone or on our computer. And, and, and so we see all the things that other people are chasing, other things that people raise up as God, whether it's the number of followers they have or, or how other success is or whatever that is. And it comes and inundates us. And he's saying, listen, Jesus is far above all of that. He's greater than all of that. His power cannot be compared. And when we understand that, we don't have to chase other things. If we understand his power, we don't have to chase other stuff. We get lost in trying to pursue stuff and there's no competition. And, 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 I, and this last part, sometimes we, we kind of want to skip over these things, but this last part is so powerful. Verses 22 and 23, he says, God has put all things in the authority of Christ and has made him the head over all things for the benefit of the church. And the church is his body, is made full and complete by Christ, who fills all things everywhere with himself. As these letters are being read to the church in Ephesus, it's super important because the theme in in Ephesians is unity under Christ, under his blood, under his salvation. That's what unites us, is Jesus. And he's saying without Jesus, the church is void. Doesn't matter how good looking your pastor is, how great your worship leader can sing, it's void without Jesus. Doesn't matter the slogan you wear, the t shirt, the cool stuff, the preacher sneaker thing, whatever. Doesn't matter any of that. Doesn't matter how many followers that. If this Jesus is not the center of it, if he's not the goal of it, if he's not the heart of it, then your church is void and done. The minute we believe we've got it because of what we've said or what we've done, it's done. Because we need a wisdom. The church needs a wisdom that comes from him. It needs a heart that's enlightened to know who he is, and it needs to be understanding every moment of the power that he has. And without Jesus, the church is empty. But because of Jesus, we have unity in Christ. Because of Jesus, the church has power, and, and we forget. Because our goal is to have Jesus, not success. Our goal is to have Jesus, not prosperity. Our goal is to have Jesus, not influence. Because if we have Jesus, he takes care of all those things that we worry about. And I'm not, I'm not saying like, follow Jesus and then your bank account's gonna be full, so rock with that. Or hey, follow Jesus and, and then you're gonna have followers or you're gonna have the, no, Jesus is all we worry about. Let him handle the rest of the stuff. The focus is him, it's always him, it has to be him. And there's this power in Paul's prayer that sets a perspective for this, for this chapter, for these people. And he's praying that they will know that they have all these things, all this power, all this wisdom at their disposal because he knows we have a tendency to forget. We have a tendency to be like, but, but what am I going to do now? And if you're in this space right now and you're thinking, well, what am I going to do now? Now I just feel bad. You just come and told me all the things I forget. And now I'm a terrible person. You're not. You're right there with all of us. You're right there with all of us of needing this Jesus, this God who loves us so. Now, what I love about this and love about scripture, because it doesn't just live 2,000 years ago, but it lives now. 
is that Paul writes this letter to be read to the church. And, and I don't think it's an accident that we're sitting here today in a church, in a space with other believers of Christ, and we're reading this passage together. And we're reading these things because what Paul's doing, as if somehow it was divinely inspired, because it was, is modeling not just a prayer for the people then, but a prayer that we can model for our own lives of how to pray for other people, right? That we have these moments, because how many of you are like, man, all I know to do is to pray for you, man. And then we walk away and we're like, eh, I don't know what to do really though. <laughs> or we're like, hey, I'm praying for you. And, the, and, and, it, and, it, and it just go, it drops or we send a text like, oh, I'm praying for you. Because we have friends, we have people that are walking through life. Because here's the deal, 40% of us feel lonely. There's a chance that the people that are skirting the other people are you and me. And so Paul's praying a thing to say, I want you to avoid that. Here's a way that you can pray and walk beside people. I want to model what that prayer looks like. I want to show you how to, to focus on them. Because see, here's the thing. Paul was known by Christ. And because Paul was known by Christ, he wanted others to be known by Christ. And because we are known by Christ, if we are followers of Jesus and pursuing him, then we have a direct obligation, a direct responsibility, a direct way that we can love others by saying, I want you to be known by Christ. And the best way to let others know, by Christ, let others know they are known by Christ is to wear a cool t-shirt. I'm just kidding. That's not it. It's, to, it's, to, it's to, to tweet the right thing or, or post the right thing, no? The best way to show, let others know that they're known by Christ is to say hi. I'm, insert your name here. What, what, what's, what's your story? What's going on with you? Maybe it's that coworker that you work with and you're like, oh man, I know there's stuff that's going on. And the best way they can be known by Christ is for you to like, power of a letter, write them a note. And I'm praying for you. And here's how I'm praying for you. Or even be like, hey, how can I pray for you specifically? Because I want to do that. And I want to do that right now in, in the office space where we're at. Or in my roommate, dude, I know that you're being, you're being really weird. And I've been praying for that in general. But then also, <laughs> I, want to, I just want to pray because I love you. I care for you. And I want you to, let, <laughs> I want you to know that you're known. Because here's the thing, we need to be asking ourselves, how can I be flooding other people's lives with light? Not just a little light thing, not a little, but how does my life flood other people's lives with light? How does my life give and show God's wisdom? That I'm giving his wisdom out because of how I've pursued him, not giving out drama because we like that, not giving out gossip because we heard something but we give wisdom that comes from God in situations? How am I helping others understand his power? And maybe that's a prayer that we could walk through just on our own, on our own time. Lord, how can I, those three things, how can I give wisdom? How can I help others be enlightened and, and, and their lights be flooded with your light? And how can I help others understand your power? And that may mean that you're just vulnerable with your own fears and vulnerable saying, man, I feel lonely. I have issues. I struggle. But listen, you're no longer alone. You're no longer passed by in the night because I'm going to be here with you because Christ is with me. And one, one thing I love about public church, among the many things I love about public church, is that 
a thing that you'll hear if you're here around enough, is like this space on Sundays is practice. This space should be the easiest place to love people. If, you, if you're really bad at loving people through the week, love people here. Work it out here, figure it out here. And I think like every week, Todd didn't do this week. I'm very mad at you, Todd. But um, just going to have a front door conversation in front of all these people. But here's the thing is that, is that we, every week we sit in this space and somebody will come up here and they'll do the giving and they start passing on stuff before they say, hey, I want you to turn to somebody and ask them this question like, what's your favorite fruit? And you're like, why are they telling us this dumb stuff to ask people? Right, And you turn to the person that, because what we do and what I do is I turn to the people I've already came with. I'll look at my wife and say, honey, what's your favorite fruit? I should know that, right? Like we've been married 10 years. Like I'm already, I'm already in bad shape. I'm turning, tell me your favorite fruit again. No, like we should turn to somebody that's sitting around us that we don't know and look at them and say, hey, I don't know you. Hi, I'm so-and-so, glad you're here. Oh, I just let you know you were known. And what is your favorite fruit? Which is a weird thing to do. If you bring them their favorite fruit the next week, that's odd, don't do that, okay? But, but the thing is, is that we have easy opportunity just to let someone know they're known in this space. But if we're looking like I do, where we just look at the people that we're already around and say the things that we already know, then we're wasting the opportunity. This should be the easiest place. There is nothing so important in your life after this, more than likely, maybe like 2% of you are about to have a baby or something, but like that you should just rush out the door and like run to your car with your ears covered or your eyes, that would be scary to cover your eyes as you run out, but like to just look around and see who's there. And if you don't recognize someone, just say, hey, hi, I'm so glad you're here. And if you're not really glad they're there, still kind of be glad. Like, at least God gave me the opportunity. It's awkward. I haven't seen that person since high school. It's okay. There's a reason why your lives are intersecting. Don't waste it in the place where practice is at. This is the easiest place. It's the easiest place. But it shouldn't be the only place. This shouldn't be the only place. There's a date I'm going to throw up on the, or I'm not going to do it because I'm not magical, but there's a date that they're going to throw up for us. Um, August 16th, 2019. Does anybody know what that date, why that date is significant? Anybody in the world? Just yell it out if you know. Or if you just have a fun guess, I would be glad with that. Hey, whoa, where'd it go? Congratulations. What's your favorite fruit? <laughs> no, well, August 16th, 2019 is the day that Lee University has move-in day. And the, 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 the atmosphere in Cleveland, Tennessee changes every time Lee University comes back in, right? Like what was once a short line at Perkins is now a long line. You're like, why, why, why do people love yogurt so much? But you're, you're there. So, so there's that. <laughs> why is Chick-fil-A a little bit longer? You're there. I mean, all these things that we sometimes get annoyed if you live in Cleveland and, the, and Lee comes back. You're like, Ugh. Or you come to public church and now like the place you're used to sitting, there's like people all around. Here's the space. Here's the place where you can let someone know that they're known. This isn't the only way, this is one way. So you're, you're standing in line waiting at Perkett's for, for your yummy treat and there's someone comes in line behind you and you don't know them, say hi. Cause you know you can tell a Lee student is fine. You just, all the things that you know, I'm not gonna stereotype, but you know what they are. <laughs> Talk to them, say hi, buy, buy their dang Perkett's for them. It's fine. They'll love it. You don't even have to, this, this is going to be scary and I'll get my in trouble. You don't even have to invite them to church. Let them know they're known with no strings attached. 
Because the responsibility isn't this building to bring people to Jesus. The responsibility is the people in this building are meant to draw people to Jesus. We have such opportunity, and Paul lays it out so clearly that we can pray right where they're at to go because he was known, we can let others know they're known. We don't have to do this life by ourselves. We don't have to, to, to live on this other side. So August 16th should be a day that we circle on our calendar and start praying now for how can I, how can I encourage people? You know that loneliness is a huge thing. It's across the board and across all ages, but college students in a pivotal time in their life when they're struggling like where their faith is at, what a powerful thing to, to say in all the noise, you're known right where you're at. We have, probably, we have students here that are going off to go to college. Maybe you need to ask Austin and, and some of the leadership here, like, hey, who are the seniors that are going away to college? How can I pray for them? I need to let them know they're known. Send them a care package through the school year. Find ways to let people know. These are just simple things that just happen in our culture, in our everyday thing. The things that are obvious, we become oblivious to. And God wants us to be reminded that we're here for the people because he came for the people. He is the only God in history. In anything you read, he's the only God. Jesus is the only one who comes to us. And he does that partly because he, mostly because he loves us, but also so that we can love like him. If the heart of public church is to be more like Jesus, then does us no good just to sit and it does us no good to act like someone else will talk to him. We have this limitless wealth of power and wisdom and love in Jesus. And we live like paupers. We pull away. So this morning, there's a couple of things. Because I, 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 I've already said a lot. But there's a couple of things I think we can walk away from. Because I think, there, I think for some of us in the room, we have this conviction, we feel guilty. It's like, oh gosh, I feel bad, oh, I should pray. Pray for people, take the opportunity. But maybe the best thing, the best way to start is to continue to find ways to remind yourself on a daily basis of God's love, His wisdom, His heart, and pray for that for yourself. Write down a time, figure it out. Maybe in this moment, when we start worshiping a little bit, you just wanna take some time and like write, hey, this is what I wanna make sure I'm praying just to keep, keep my head right. Because in my job, in my work, because I'm, I'm working, you know, I, I was texting with a guy um, when I was asking about this on social media, like, hey, what, what's loneliness like? And I had a guy text me, he's like, hey, I got way more than I can put like on Instagram. And he just shared like, hey, it's been tough. I'm working like two hours away from my home church this summer and I, and I work 60 hour uh, weeks plus. I work with guys that don't really follow Jesus. I'm not getting encouraged and it's tough. So maybe for you, it's just a place where you can say, hey, I just wanna figure out a pattern. I wanna figure out places to reach out to. I need to let some people know that I'm feeling this way. And maybe there's some people that you're very obvious. You're like, I should talk to them because I saw them. I thought, I think I know them, but then I'm not gonna talk to them. Just run them down. Ask them their favorite fruit. I've already given you a starter, right? But then on the other side, on the other side, I know, because the statistics show, I know there's people in this room that you feel like God is just skirting right by you. That when we come to this time of worship, you're already dreading it. Because you feel so far from Him. Or you feel like He doesn't notice you. He's close to everybody else, but not you. I want you to hear very clearly, you are not alone. There's a God who loves you and is with you and has not forgotten you. And I don't say those words from a person that has it all together, but a person that's broken and has to be reminded every day. 
that God hasn't forgotten me. So I think it's appropriate to end my talking time is just to pray for this gathering. And if your prayer is just like, I don't know if God's even for me. And there's, there's gonna be people at this back door of the prayer team, that, that's what their goal is. They got juiced up this morning to say, I, I'm gonna have three cups of coffee and an extra espresso just so I can be at that door and pray for people. They've been praying for you through this whole service and, and, and they just want you to know that you're known. Don't just sit in a space and say, I don't, I don't know, I'm struggling, and just say, well, I'm struggling. Don't just reach out. There's a God who knows you, that can be known, that wants you to interact with Him. So I wanna pray, I wanna pray for this thing, we're gonna worship, and we're gonna blow the stinking roof off this joint because we have a God who has filled our hearts, and maybe this morning, we've just been reminded of His greatness, so we're gonna pray, and we're gonna worship, because we have a God who loves us. Regardless of circumstance, He loves us. So you join me as you pray. Father God, you are so, so good. We've already sung together that you chase us down. You, you, you value us. You, you put value on us. And God, you value unity. And I pray that this body, the people in this church, this gathering, they would not lose focus of who you are, Jesus that we don't get dragged down by the things of this world, we don't get distracted by the things of this world, God, but we would know you. So God, I pray specifically, just the prayer that Paul prayed in Ephesians, which is a prayer that we can claim, which is God, that we just, we're just here this morning and we want to receive your wisdom. In the places we're struggling to know you and to know if, we, if you can be trusted, God, I pray that our hands are open that we can say this morning, we don't know it all, and we want, to know, we want you to step into our situation, and we want to trust you. God, I pray that hearts this morning would be enlightened by you, flooded with light, that if there are doubts about where you are at and what you, how you feel about people, God, that you would flood our hearts with light this morning, that you would, you would do a work of reminding us of who you are, that we would be oblivious no more to the obvious love you have for us, that you display clearly as a kindness to us to let us know and doubt that you're good. God, I pray that we would understand your power, that we'd wanna know you more and more, the power that, that, that rose you from the grave. We wanna experience that in our life, the places we feel just oppressed, God, that you would just raise us up in your strength. And God, we, we pray that you would join this gathering together under your power, under your name, Jesus, above every name that you are good, you are good, and you love us. And we might be in the darkness now, but it's, it's not lasting much longer because of who you are. We love you and we thank you in your holy name and pray.